Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our midweek service. And we're going to take a few minutes here to uh, go through another part of the Psalms. We're in Psalm 85. And uh, the last time we were together, we didn't have a midweek service because of Vacation Bible School. But the week before that, we looked at the first part of this Psalm. And it seems to be that uh, this is written after the Babylonian exile, after those 70 years in Babylon, and Israel is back in the land. And the psalmist starts off by reviewing the past, all that God has done and his favor and his blessing. And it's always good to take a look back. It's always good to remember where we were, what God has done for us, and uh, to remember also his mighty works from past days. In fact, um, if you'll think about it, that seems to be a pattern in Scripture. That when they would pray, and you find this in the Old as well as the New Testament, they would begin to talk about God who created all things out of nothing. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who brought Israel into the land and set them free from Egyptian captivity. All of these things would be talked about, and then they would get to what they really wanted to talk about in their prayer. Now, the reason they did that is because that brings glory to God, and it shows that God is active and powerful and involved in the lives of his people. But it also serves another purpose. It brings us, as the people of God, who are so overwhelmed by our problems. The problems that we have sometimes are like a tsunami. They overwhelm us. They engulf us. They're everywhere we look and there seems to be no mistake. But when you go back and you look at what God has done in the past, both in the Bible as well as in your life, and you think about his power and his might, you think about answered prayer, you think about that and then you put it in perspective and all of a sudden your present-day problems don't seem so big, do they? You have a God who is big. You have a God who is powerful. You have a God who is able to do, as Paul said, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And he does it according to the power that works in us, his presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. We are the sanctuary. We're the temple of God. And so he does it that Christ might receive glory in his church throughout all generations. And so we've got to remember this about God. We don't have to catch him up. We don't have to call for him, whistle for him, and then hope that he comes in time. He's always with us, and he's working his sovereign plan. But it's not wrong to express our desires. The psalmist, after he talks about what God has done, he says in Psalm 85, beginning in verse 4, Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? How long does this last anyway? Will you not, verse 6, revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us 
your salvation. Now, why would this be necessary? Because the people, when they came back into the land, I'm sure they were excited and happy when it first happened. But then the realities of life hit them. They were a remnant. They didn't have much money. They had no political clout. They were dominated by a foreign nation. Their land had been sitting idle for 70 years. You can imagine the deterioration on their houses and other buildings. They didn't really have great leadership until Nehemiah came along and that type of thing that they would follow. And life was very, very difficult. And so the psalmist says, you favored us once before, Lord. Will you not do it again? You blessed us once before. You were close to us once before. You prospered us once before. Will you not do it again? And so as I looked through these verses, I thought about us. This psalm fits some of your lives. There was a time when God was really blessing you and you were really, really close to him. But because of sin, you've been under chastisement. And so finally you get to the point where you confess your sin and the chastisement ends, but the consequences remain on for a while. And so um, this is what is happening to Israel, isn't it? So first of all, the psalmist makes a plea and he says, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. You know, when we talk about God and second chances, truth of the matter is we blew our second chance a long, long time ago. He's the God who blesses us in spite of ourselves by grace. And even as Christians after salvation, we still operate on the basis of God's grace, don't we? As you grow in age and as you grow in the Lord, you become more aware of your sin, more than you were when you were first saved. And as you do, you realize that Christ paid for that sin and you confess that sin to the Lord so that you can enter into the joy and the blessing and the freedom of forgiveness. And as you do that, you uh, find that God is constantly loving, merciful, and gracious to even the best of Christians. None of us could survive. The psalmist said, if you mark our transgressions, who could stand? And that's certainly right. And so we look back and we say, there was a time when I was closer. There was a time when I was walking with God. Lord, do it again. Don't just leave me here in this situation. Would you dare to pray that? You don't like where you are. You're not joyful the way you are. God's not blessing you where you are. Look back. Look back and see what God has done. And as you do that, then you say with the psalmist, Lord, do it again. Secondly, there's a... Let me get caught up here. Secondly, there is a longing. Make your favor obvious. When the psalmist writes about this, were they still the people of God? Yeah. 
Is God's covenant still in effect? Yeah. Did God still love them? Yeah. He had chastised them in Babylon for those 70 years. But remember, the Bible says God's chastisement is always done to the people that he loves. So what is happening in this is the grace and the favor of God is no longer obvious. It was obvious when they came out of Egypt. It was obvious when they parted the Red Sea. It was obvious when the walls of Jericho fell. It was obvious when God provided David as a king for them. But now it's not so obvious. It looks like they're anything but the favored and chosen people of God. And so the psalmist is saying, take what you've done and how you love us and let it be obvious. You know, that's what we ought to pray. Lord, I know your love and your mercy and your grace and our salvation never changes. But Lord, make it obvious that I'm a man or woman of God. Make it obvious that I'm walking with you and that I have your favor, that other people might see it and that you might be glorified. God is not glorified in Christians that are under chastisement. Thirdly, there's a desire that he has. Make your people joyful. Make your people joy joyful. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? How happy are you that God has saved you? How joyful are you that God hears your prayers? How excited are you that you're going to heaven when you die? How awesome is it that God walks with us as we go throughout our time upon this earth. And when I look at this, I'm thinking about how God wants to bring joy into our lives. After all, wasn't that the angel's uh, message whenever they announced the birth, the incarnation of Christ? Isn't that part of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, and peace? God wants his people to rejoice in him. And the psalmist realized unless God does a work, this work of revival, then the people are only going to grumble, gripe, complain, be negative, be envious of evildoers, fight with one another, all of that kind of stuff. And so the psalmist cries out, please bring us revival. Bring us back. Show your favor. Do it again, Lord, so that your people might rejoice and not just rejoice in the things and the possessions that they have, but they can rejoice in you so that you once again will be glorified in your people's lives. But what a great thing for us to pray for us, for our church. Oh Lord, will you not revive us so that your people, so that I can rejoice and not just do it out of habit and not just do it because it's commanded, but rejoice in the Lord. As the Apostle Paul said, we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And that brings us to the last thing, number four, an admission. Revival is undeserved. I can remember um, hearing preaching when I was younger sometimes out of Acts chapter 2 and other places like that, 
And they would talk about conditions for revival. You got to pray. You got to be in unity. You got to be submissive to God and confess sin, forsake sin, get right with other people, all of that kind of thing. And I remember one time thinking, if all of those things would happen in my life, I'd be walking with God. I wouldn't need revival. The reason we need revival is because those things are not happening in our lives. And when I began to understand that revival is a sovereign work of God, that he gives it as he chooses, and revival is when God begins to move and convict of sin, draw people to Christ, get saved people right with God, reconcile believers together, that's the work of God. That doesn't bring revival. That is revival. And when we think about that, the first model that I presented would say, Lord, look at, all the, look at all the things we've done. We deserve for you to give, give us revival. We're worthy of revival. Make us joyful. The second model says this, Lord, we're unworthy and that's why we need it. Lord, we're not everything we're supposed to be and that's why we need it. Remember Jesus said, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden. He didn't say, come to me when you get it all right. He didn't say, come to me when everything's perfect. He didn't say, come to me when the conditions are met. We come to him as failures. We come to him broken. We come to him as those who can't get it right no matter how hard we try. We come, to the, we come as those who say, I need you, Lord. I desperately, desperately need you. And so as the writer of this psalm is uh, speaking, he says in verse 7, Show us your mercy, Lord. Now, why do I need mercy? I don't need mercy if everything is right. If I'm in a good standing with God, why do I need mercy? Mercy is what you call for when you are being defeated by your enemy. Mercy is what you call for whenever you're getting what you deserve and you don't like it and you don't want the full force of it. Mercy is what people who are in the wrong say to the person that they have offended. Show us your mercy. That was undeserved. They deserved punishment, the wrath, but he pleads for mercy, doesn't he? And grant us your salvation. Liberate us, deliver us, and take us out of where we are and bring us to where we really ought to be. Save us. Now, many times in the Bible, salvation is talking about our eternal soul. We know that. But there are other times, quite a few of them, when salvation is, get me out of the mess that I've made for myself in this present life. I think that's what Jesus meant in the model prayer when he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's asking God, lead me in the way that would take me away from temptation. And then when I'm so foolish, I don't obey you and I stray into sin and I get caught, I need a deliverer. I need salvation from that particular thing. Deliver us. And so that's what the psalmist prays for. 
And I would ask you to take those four things and pray for those in your own life. Pray about other people that you know that are no longer walking close to God as they once did. And pray for it for our church, that we might be joyful in Christ and the fires of revival might be burning brightly in and through us for God's glory and God's glory alone. Now be sure that you go to our website, gracewayokc.org, download the newsletter, be praying for things, praying about events coming up, praying for people on the prayer list, contacting them, supporting them, and helping them in any way that you possibly can. Because as a body, that's what we are for, and that's why God put us here. Tell somebody about Jesus, and rejoice in the Lord, and remember what all he has done for you, and have the same prayer, Lord, please do it again. God bless you, and thank you for taking time to listen to this. This is a little bit shorter than some of the other ones. Give you a little bit of a break. God bless you, thank you, and we'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday.